Good morning, everyone, and a very special good morning to Naya, and a special good morning to Juliet also, who's with us this morning. That was powerful. Hallelujah. Really, 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 really so moving, so powerful. Thank God for your testimony there tonight, and thank God for that worship, guys. Thank you. It's great to be part of this family. Absolutely an enormous blessing. You are London Family Centre. So last week, I asked the question, how on earth did Jesus finish the race? I mean, look at what they did to him. Because you're a man, because you're human, he had to become human to pay the price for you. But look at what they did to him. How on earth did he finish the race? And the Bible tells us, for the joy set before him, Jesus had a fixed gaze on what was before him, on your salvation, on heaven, on glory. For the joy set before him, he was able to endure the cross and all the rest of the, you know, fiery darts and problems and traumas that he had to endure for our salvation. That's how he did it. And last week, we just thought about us being the bride of Christ, that that's one of the things that will sustain you in troubled times. One of the things the scripture highlights, the, the grace of God to even call us his bride and, and bring us into his bride. It's important, as we were looking at, very important to get the right image of God. You can't love the wrong God. You got to get this image right of who he is. He's a, he's a God of love, a God of holiness, but he also has other attributes and that's true. Scripture tells us that. But I want to re-emphasize and restate my opening point. You will have heard various examples in your life. They use them when they, tell, when they lead people to Christ or they, they give a, an evangelistic testimony. And the story goes a bit like this. Once upon a time there was a judge. And the judge had a son. And the son committed a terrible crime. He was going to be sentenced to death. And when the son came into the courtroom, guess who the judge was? His own father. His own father was in the dock. And the father spoke to the son and said, Son, I love you. I love you. That's what's in my heart. Nothing but love for you. But I'm a judge. I'm a judge. And I cannot change the law. As for who I am, you know me. You know I love you. It's not in my heart. But there is a law. And the law of this land will be upheld. And this is the difference between the Logos, the Rima, and the living word. The aspects of within Christology, the person of Jesus Christ. Let me read to you what Jesus said one day. I want you to listen really carefully to what Jesus said about himself as God. If anyone hears my words, the law, but they do not keep them, I don't judge him. I don't judge that person. I'll say it again. This is Jesus talking. If anyone hears my words, but they don't obey me. 
I do not judge that person, for I did not come to the world to judge it, but to save the world. But there is one who does judge in the last days. This word that I spoke will judge. So last week we looked at this concept. There are things that God is and there are things that God has. And even on the final throne of judgment, God is still a God of love. And I want you to perceive him that way. Anything else is a very serious mistake. Very serious mistake theologically that leads to bad relationships. So we saw how we should focus on God. And focus on the fact that I'm called to be his bride. How wonderful is that? This week I want to focus on another thing that scripture advises you constantly to look forward to. And that's your rewards in heaven. Jesus, more than anybody else, Jesus Christ himself speaks to you over and over. Build rewards in heaven. Build rewards in heaven. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter do the same thing. But I tell you this folks, and this is true. This subject of your heavenly rewards is one of the least preached on subjects in churches in all history. You count the number of subjects, uh, sorry, the number of sermons you have heard on heavenly rewards and your pursuit of them. Not many. I've heard a lot of, <laughs> a lot of preaching about earthly rewards. I've heard a lot of preaching about prosperity. I've heard a lot of stuff about this life. But nowhere near as much about the next life. Life after life. Nowhere near. This is one of the least preached on subjects. And yet it's one of the most things that Jesus references and advises us on. It's one of the issues that has some of the most misunderstandings. And it's an issue that's going to cause me great loss when I stand before Christ. And perhaps you too, if you don't listen to Jesus and listen to Paul, you're going to lose part of your eternal reward. That's what Jesus warned about. Don't lose that reward. Let me read to you the words of Paul. And it's a central scripture concerning your eternity. Could it doesn't get much more important than this. <laughs> By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, judgment. Your work one day will be shown for exactly what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of every single person's work. If what he has built survives, the builder, that's you, will receive a reward. But if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, an eternal loss. But he himself will be saved even as one escaping through the flames. When I was at school, we had teachers I liked and teachers I didn't like. <laughs> I'm sure you were the same. I liked the teachers when there was an exam coming up, they gave us a mock paper 
And they gave us an idea what the problems were going to be. Give, give me an idea of the questions. And some teachers were really good like that. Well, Jesus, Paul, Peter, they're really good like this. They give us major clues, more than clues. They tell us about the judgment day. They tell us what the judgments are going to be. Your thoughts will be judged. This is what makes Christianity different from the other faiths. Your very thoughts over your lifetime will be assessed. Your words, the words that you've spoken that you think no one hears. Remember, they were grumbling in their tents undercover thinking no one can hear god takes words very seriously my thoughts my words and of course my deeds the word judge and the word judgment in english very similar to the the way they're handled in greek it's the same it's the same context there's two senses in english when we think of judge or judgment it has a positive connotation and a negative one you can have a judge at a flower show you know, you can have a judge who's, who's giving out prizes and rewards. But negatively, you can have a judge who's passing a sentence, sentencing day. Someone will appear before a judge to get the length of their sentence. And scripture is exactly the same. The term judge and judgment has two connotations. One for those who are born again and walking in the spirit. And one for those who are not. Let me begin this morning by clearing up some of the misunderstandings because they are many and they're costly. The man who gets this wrong will suffer loss, eternal loss. What are the misunderstandings? Well, I think for me, the biggest misunderstanding I perceive in people is many Christians say, ha ha, I'm born again. I will never be judged. I'd be a little bit careful about that. Oh, no, no, no. I heard a message on the Bema seat. I know it's a seat of rewards. There's no judgment for me. The, the Bema seat is a judgment seat. The Bema seat is a judgment seat. That's what it is. However, it's not a judgment seat in, a, in the case of a born-again Christian to judge your sin. Jesus Christ took the payment for your sin. But it is a judgment seat to judge your rewards and your service. So in that sense, yes, we do face judgment and we need to be very, very well prepared for this, the greatest exam of your entire life. And we prepare well for our exams here on earth. Well done. We've got a bigger one coming up. <laughs> You've got an eternal one coming up. So if you are wise, if you are wise, you will listen carefully today and reap eternal rewards. And I pray you do that. Another big mistake I hear people say in the future, there's going to be one big judgment day for everybody. We're all going to stand on the same day and this and that and sheep and goats and it's all going to happen. No, not one judgment day at all. Later today, I will send you detailed notes. So don't panic about scriptures. There's, I'm going to rattle off a few here just so you get the context. I want you to see how wrong we can be about judgment. No, there's not one judgment day. There's at least seven for different people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about the judgment seat of Christ. That's for those who are born again, and it happens just after the rapture. In the book of Daniel chapter 12, it talks about the judgment of Old Testament believers. But that happens at the second coming of Christ and after the tribulation. In the book of Revelation chapter 20, it talks about the judgment of tribulation believers, those who were martyred. 
during the tribulation. In Ezekiel chapter 20, it talks about a judgment of the Jews who were still alive at the second coming of Christ. In Matthew chapter 25, it talks about the judgment of the sheep and goats. These are Gentile nations who are alive at the second coming of Christ. In Matthew chapter 20, it talks about the judgment of Satan and his fallen angels. Right? <laughs> Which takes place at the end of the millennium. In Matthew chapter 20 also, it talks about the final judgment, the great white throne judgment which is for all unbelievers of all generations. Now, the reason I'm firing that out there, I want you to see how wrong we can be, how wrong Christians can be about judgment and how seriously and how much detail there is in Scripture to inform you about the exam. We have a good master. We have a good teacher in Jesus Christ, I tell you. He's, he's warning you of the whole system coming up. No, it's not quick it's not over in a day I was preaching on the streets in Cardiff one day and this man was mocking me I actually think he probably came from a church background at some point but I was preaching and he was mocking me and shouting as I was preaching and when I finished he came over to me was in the middle of the city in the city center he came over to me and he shouted into my face and this is what he said he said hey when I die I'm going to go to hell and I'm going to have a party, 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 you know. <laughs> and it just made me think, you see, and I didn't, he, he caught me off guard. So I just spoke very quietly. I answered him. I spoke very quietly, very gently. And I said, um, no, no, that's not right. Let me explain. When you die, your body, your physical body will go into the ground. But your spirit will go to a place called Sheol. And your spirit will be held there for more than 1,000 years to come. Because we haven't had the millennium yet. And at the end of that millennium, your body will be brought back together. You, actually, you're going to be given a brand new body that is perfect and can never die. And in that new suit, that new body, you're going to appear before Jesus Christ in that body. Because you have to have a body to be judged. And then you will be judged by Christ and then you will be sent to hell. And by the way, sir, no, there won't be a party. That's what's going to happen to you. He had nothing to say. He was gobsmacked. <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Well, that's the truth. That's, that's the truth. There's no quick, there's no quick fix here. When Adam was judged, judgment, in the Garden of Eden for the sin, the curse of death was put on him. But Adam, Adam didn't drop dead. The, the judgment didn't come quickly. The judgment came very slowly. Adam lived nearly a thousand years. The first Adam was a slow judgment. And the second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, the releasing of this judgment is also slow. We have a whole period, a whole system, and I want you to get your head around that because for me it's very important. It's in Scripture, and it's very clear. That makes it important. God wants us to see the big picture here. The, the third thing I hear people say regularly is, judgment day will, on Judgment Day, it will be decided whether I'm going to heaven or hell. <laughs> uh -uh. Wrong, wrong answer. Judgment Day has got nothing to do with whether you go to heaven or hell. You make that decision now whilst you're alive in the body. Judgment Day is about the rewards in heaven and the punishments in hell. 
Judgment Day is not about salvation. Salvation only concerns this life while you've got breath in your body. Did you, did you get that? Many people believe Judgment Day is where decisions will be made about salvation. No, sir. Absolutely no. Wrong. It's about rewards and punishment only. And I say that because after the powerful testimony from Tanaya, some people listening here today will not be saved and some people who will listen in the weeks to come will definitely not be saved. Uh, and I urge you, make today the day of your salvation. So when it comes to this issue, I just want to drop a few thoughts in your mind and you can consider them. Uh, these are my thoughts regarding resurrection, judgment and rewards. My first thought, be very careful of comparison. Be very careful of comparison. It is a dangerous game. When I do funerals, it may not sound as if I'm fussy, but I'm very fussy about what I say at a funeral <laughs> because I'm aware of what I have responsibility for and what I don't, what I can say and what I can't. For example, many people will say, oh, you know, Reinhard Bonnke, who's one of my heroes. Many people uh, uh, were testifying around the time of his death. Well, when I go to heaven, I'll look for the biggest mansion in heaven because that will have Mr. Bonke written on the door. Well, can we just pause one moment? Number one, you don't know if he's saved. You don't know that. I presume it. Of course I presume it, but you don't know that. Number two, you have no awareness whatsoever of what kind of reward he or Billy Graham or you, you have no, you've got no right to even state those, you know, presumptions. That is not our job. That is not your job or my job. Absolutely no. We need to wait. Scripture says, do not say in your heart who shall arise or who shall descend. This is God's business. And the Apostle Paul says this. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries uh, God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have a trust that they must prove faithful. If God has trusted you with a gifting, this is your service for which you will be rewarded. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust, they must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. Nothing means who's saved, who's lost. Nothing means the type of reward my friend got. You can be so wrong. You can be so wrong. Uh, you know, I, I've been in the ministry a long time, but many years ago, I remember one, one, one particular evangelist had a fantastic reputation, was achieving so much in the world. But that guy was, I'm telling you, he's wicked, absolutely wicked. But in the eyes of the public, in the eyes of the of you know the world, they thought, well, this is a superhero. But I happened to be involved in in some people who knew him, and they were appealing to me to deal with him and correct him and expose him and all this. And I said, no, based on this scripture, I remember persuading some pastors. Do you know what? Leave the judgment to God. At this moment, many people are deceived by this guy's great success. Many. 
But God, God's the judge, not you and not me. So my advice to you is let it go. Let it go. Be very careful of comparison. And by the way, some Christians not only judge others in the wrong way, but some Christians even take it to the next step where they want to punish you. <laughs> I'm going to be your judge and your jury. That is not a good idea. I, I am telling you, do not go down that road. You are, you are definitely not the, my judge and you're not my jury either, that's for sure. If you read your Old Testament particularly, you will see that God takes a very dim view of this. You know who Israel? Israel was God's kids. This is, these are my kids. This is my family. These are my children. And all the surrounding nations used to look at, at Israel and they knew that Yahweh was their God. They knew the rules that they were supposed to live by. So when Israel, when Israel went wrong, the Philistine nations used to be really happy. And they said, oh, we'll, because Israel is now backslidden, we're going to invade Israel. We're going to punish Israel. We're going to destroy Israel. But you know, God always replied with two statements. Listen carefully. Leave my kids alone. It is not your place to judge my kids, to judge Israel. Number one, if you touch them, I will destroy you. Number two, after I've finished destroying you, I will chastise Israel. Oh yeah. Be very careful about getting the wrong perspective on yourself as a Christian being a judge. And certainly don't go the next step to think that you have the right to punish anybody in that sense. I'm talking about judgment of the heart, motives. The second thing, my second thought is, rewards were incredibly high on the agenda of Jesus. Eternal rewards and Peter, but they're not high in the world today. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says this, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, to your goodness, knowledge, to your knowledge, self-control. And he says at the end of that, um, ver uh, that dialogue, so that you will have a great reward in heaven. I'm just saying I'm a Pentecostal like most of you. And Pentecostals can throw the baby out with the bathwater. When was the last time you deliberately pursued to add works? Works are good. <laughs> Jesus says, build up treasures in heaven. Go and do good works so that your father will reward you. Peter is saying, add to your faith. I'm, I'm a Pentecostal. I'm born again, not by works. No, no, we're not talking about that. You don't do works to get saved. But after you're saved, Scripture says, do many good works. Go and do good works. Not to get saved but to build up treasure in heaven. And I'm just saying, folks, I don't feel this in our Pentecostal churches. I don't see it. I don't hear it preached. I don't hear it in your thinking when I'm talking to you. We're very aware of blessings on earth. This is all temporary. This is all gone. Very soon. Add to your treasure in heaven. Build up for yourself an eternal reward where thieves and moth and dust cannot destroy. Realize how brief this life is. Do not invest over, overly invest in this world or get tied up in this life. That, is a, 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 that can be an eternal loss. can be an eternal mistake. And people say, well, what form do these rewards take? 
What do they look like? Do you ever see an army parade? I saw Prince Harry down in the city at an army parade a couple of years ago, and he had all his insignias on, you know, the little badges and colors. And you were able to see, as all the soldiers walked past, you were able to see exactly what they had done. You didn't have to ask someone, what did you do? You can see it by the badges. And it looks like pretty similar to heaven. Because it looks like when you get to heaven, when I look at you, I'm going to be able to see what you did. In the book of Revelation chapter 19, it says that the bride was given linen to wear, which is the good deeds. The bride was given linen to wear, which is the good deeds, the works of the saints. And there's, there's five different crowns mentioned now. Again, I know we cast our crowns before Christ, but they're there and they're important. The crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy. The incorruptible crown in 1 Corinthians 9. The crown of life in Revelation 2. The crown of rejoicing in 1 Thessalonians. And the crown of glory. So we need to prepare for that day. More than, certainly more than I am. Just preparing this this week has really, has really shocked me. The Apostle Paul said, Be very careful to build up treasure. Treasure that will last. Treasure that won't be burned up. A few years ago, on this very wall here, <laughs> I projected a picture on the wall of a horse in a horse race. And all the horses had the riders on the horse. But one horse decided he doesn't need oversight and he kicked off the rider and life became very easy for that horse and in the horse's mind he's winning in the horse's mind he gallops without the hindrances of of righteousness and scripture he crosses the line way before everybody else fruit that will last i don't think so the only reward for that horse is in its head. There's no reward. And everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. Paul said, run the race in order to win a prize. Live your life by the rules or there is no prize. You're self-deceived. You're like that horse. You kick off leadership, kick off Jesus. I'll do this my way. You can do it your way, but I'm giving you a very, very strong warning. You're not, you're going to suffer loss. I'm not saying you're not saved. You will escape, as Paul said, even as one escaping through the flames. But on the judgment day, you will not have heeded the advice of Paul. And you will suffer great loss. Better to run less of a race and achieve less in righteousness than to achieve many things the wrong way that will be burned up. Hello. So run the race according to the rules. Every day, I'm either adding or subtracting to my eternal reward. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Something that just keeps, the gift that keeps on giving. This afternoon, we go and do something good. Because we want to do good. And that gets listed, recorded somewhere. What happens next? In eternity, forever and, now there's a dividend. Now there's an investment. There's a good investment. Forever and for we just became heavenly billionaires, trillionaires, 
just because we consciously pursued the advice of Christ and the advice of Scripture. Every day, time is money is a saying, right? Uh, time is rewards. That, that, that's how you can pursue rewards, as Jesus advises you to, through your time. Much of our time is spent gaining rewards in this life, I repeat, not good. And that reward will be based on excellence and having the right spirit and the right disposition. A few years before this church was ever planted in London, there was no London Family Centre. It was just a dream in Pastor Rick's mind. And I was leading a very large church at that time in Ireland. And he came, he flew in and he started talking to me about his dream to open a church in London and would I help and would I send a team to help with that. I said, absolutely. And I think, I think we sent five people. One of those people was a lady called Joanne Dundas. She got married, Joanne Nickel now, I think. Or, um, she's a good friend of my brother. Very, very nice lady. Uh, Joanne's a great evangelist and a great missionary, but I tell you what, she can't sing. <laughs> yeah, we've got that in common. She can't sing. But she was white. She's a white woman. And when the church was being planted, because it was international and there was people from many nations, we wanted to have a balanced worship team. You don't want the worship team all black. You don't want the worship team all white, all Filipino, all Chinese. That's not a good representation. And that can put people off. And we definitely don't want to do that. Um, so they asked Joanne, would you just stand up and we'll give you a microphone, you see? So they gave her a microphone. And Joanne used to stand and sing. But... <laughs> do you guess what happened <laughs> her microphone was never plugged in so and this happens in many choirs in many churches some people just want to express and that's fine absolutely fine i've done it myself i did some some of that i had to mime in singapore uh, for a, a major event we did so it's fine now i thank god for that that's a good attitude because the church needed you to do something that you actually can't do to be honest we just want to kind of pretend just for a moment because we're trying to start the church we're trying to start the church so just do this for the moment and this will help us get started now I'm making a very serious point here for me it's the most serious point today Joanne didn't keep the microphone because she knows she can't sing and the people who come to attend the church they thought she could sing but the worship team knew she couldn't the worship team knew better they knew she didn't have that gift. Now, she's a smart cookie. She's no fool. So, I'll do this. As I do things for the church every day that are not my gifting. It's not my calling. And I won't be particularly overly rewarded. I will be rewarded for pursuing my calling. What has God called me to do? Yes, I will do the church favors. Excuse me for that term. You know what I mean. I've done many things for the church that are not my... It's not part of my real reward. But I really respect Joanne for this fact. She didn't get stuck with a dummy ministry. She didn't get stuck filling in a gap. And I repeat, I filled in many gaps. At a certain point, because she sent me a message one day, not long ago, I asked her how she was, and she was talking about her life. It was a great message, very encouraging. How are you? She put the mic down, you see. She said, that's not actually what I'm called to do. And my reward is very serious. 
And she pursued and she was explaining to me about her life, her marriage, her children, her ministry, her church. This is what I'm called to do. This is where my reward is. I wish I could find more people like that. You need to do... There's not a great reward for doing what someone else is supposed to do or for having a dummy ministry. Or whatever. I mean, is that missing it or what? So as we talk about rewards, years ago, many years ago, I was lying on the floor. I didn't even have a bed and I got a word from the Lord and it was to preach the gospel and I will expand that. I, God holds me accountable. That's what I think. That's what I feel. God holds, whoever is given a trust must prove worthy of that trust. And I believe God spoke to me. I'm holding you, Michael, accountable to preach the word to the nations in a way that's understandable. That's, that, that, that's my paraphrase. But that's what I believe my commission is for all my life. And that's why I pursue what I pursue. Now, I'm asking you a very serious question. What has God called you to do? I will give an answer one day for that original call. What has God called you to do? I thank you for being a substitute, a stand-in in many ministries. Continue to do that as I do and we all do because it's necessary. But I'm making a much more important point. Who are you? Who are you? And when you stand before him, he's going to ask, right? well, this is what I asked you for. <laughs> Have you been a wise, but well, what did you build that for? I didn't ask you for that. I asked you for this. Many, you know, many builders do that. Many bad builders. The architect gives the design. The builder doesn't like it. He builds something else. <laughs> you don't want a builder like that. You want a builder who builds what the architect wants. And for that, you will be rewarded. I'm saying this for a reason. She has qualifications in, in Colombia in bringing people to an awareness of themselves, finding themselves. And this Friday night, I, you know, I, 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 am, I am who he says I am. I am who God says I am. And this Friday night, I want you to come along and join us as we seek God and submit before him for him to give us that identity. So come and join us Friday night, eight o'clock. Michael, would you pray for us as we close this morning?